Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Episode 19, Understanding the Professional Standards for Teaching and Leadership. Welcome back to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching. Today we've got another special episode because we're joined by a special guest, our esteemed colleague, Shona David. How are you? I'm fine, thank you very much. <laughs> Welsh language voice of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And the three of us have been working very closely together over the past two academic years now um, on a project that seems to have sort of taken on a life of its own. We we seem to have presented what we're about to talk to you about today in various different guises and locations <laughs> across the UK. It's been like a tour, hasn't it? <laughs> it has been like a bit of a tour. Um, but um, we, what we're going to talk to you about today is a project that began as something that we were doing for our regional consortia. Seanad is going to give you a bit more of, of the details there, but something that was we were commissioned to do to begin with that led us to understand a little bit more about how student teachers learn in our particular context of teacher education here in Wales. So the, the title of our presentation as we present it back in October in Stratford at the USET conference was using dialogue to understand professional growth, an example from initial teacher education. So that's just a bit of an introduction, but I'm going to hand over to Seanad now because you're going to talk about the sort of broader context that we've been working in. Yes, well, you know, we've been working in a a period of change, really, haven't we? And we've undergone a great deal of reform, and not just in schools with the curriculum, but also ITE programmes have undergone reform. And I think initially we just need to make a comment, it's changed from ITT to ITE. And the the change from training to education in itself is, is significant. Alongside changes happening in school, Professor John Furlong made some recommendations to Welsh Government about um, necessary changes for ITE. There was a new competitive process where we had to bid for the right to provide ITE training as an university and as a partnership. And there was very much this new idea that it was shared responsibility. Obviously, we've always collaborated closely with schools, but it was a new beginning, if you like, for a new type of programme. And it's easy to forget, isn't it? While everyone gets very excited about the new curriculum, but these were really big changes for the way that we we train teachers. And and Furlong in particular had some pretty high expectations for it being much more research informed in the way that it worked. Yeah. And and the quote from the documentation is uh, that IT provision was uh, required to be rigorously practical and intellectually challenging at the same time. So I think that's uh, worth focusing on. On as well. And of course, I suppose as a, as a result of those reforms, our existing standards by which we uh, assessed the sort of readiness of student teachers to enter the profession, a qualified teacher status, were no longer sort of fit for purpose and needed to be reformed within that new philosophy of teacher education that is more rigorously research informed. So what did they look like? What do they look like now? 
Yes, they're much more holistic now, of course, which also presents a challenge for us, uh, whereas in the past they were possibly more competence-based. Um, they were that you know traditional tick list of do you meet this standard, yes or no, where now they, they were much more holistic and they weren't just for IT students, they were standards for the profession, for newly qualified teachers, but also for teachers on their induction year and also very experienced teachers. So the emphasis was very much on developing a student teacher or a teacher holistically and therefore the standards in themselves provided us with a great challenge in a way because we at the same time have to use them in order to assess student teachers making progress and developing in their learning whilst they're here and we have to be confident at the very end of the programme that we believe that they are suitable for the profession with the gatekeepers for the profession as well. So the standards were a challenge weren't they and, and that's why partly this project was required in order to help us understand better how student teachers were learning but also how they related that learning to the new professional standards and anyone listening from outside i mean they they were very tick boxy weren't they the old ones what we call the old standards you know can you manage the classroom environment that kind of thing it was it was very easy to kind of spot whether someone was doing it or not these ones worked really well for serving teachers i suppose in that they're really aspirational but you're right i mean it's actually quite hard in some cases to actually know what some of them even mean Yes, and I think that overlap sometimes happens between them. They are categorised, aren't they, in five groups? So the, the main ones, obviously the main standard is the pedagogy. But then that pedagogy is supported by um, four others, which are collaboration, innovation, professional learning and leadership. And possibly that was a new approach for us to try and understand how those the four standards supported the students in the development of their pedagogy. And that's taken a while, I think, for students to understand that they're meant to be looking at them together in a combined way. Absolutely. And of course, sitting beneath those five standards are a number of individual elements that sort of make them up. So within pedagogy, you've got some of the things that you would expect to see, such as differentiation being an element of pedagogy that a student teacher, in order to gain qualified teacher status, you've got a descriptor there specifically for a student teacher trying to um, achieve that. So on face value, you know, they're, they're integrated, they're holistic, they work together. But as you said, Sean Ed, we've got the challenge of, and the students have got the challenge of demonstrating that they have met all of those individual elements within them as well. <laughs> so it's a complex picture. And of course, what we've also got is our knowledge from research and experience about how a novice advances their practice in their PGC year or in their BA year. We use something quite specific to judge that and, and categorise that. Did you want to talk about that? Yeah, well, we've used Carol Steele's descriptors, haven't we? So it, um, the students at the beginning would be unaware, um, not that they were not capable of something, but just that they were unaware of the requirements. Then they become aware, <laughs> only later would they become capable so we've sort of categorised them as those three, basically, unaware, aware, capable. And we did use the um, traffic light system as well, didn't we? 
red, yellow and green to help us there. But we also wanted to um, support teachers to be making further progress and to be ambitious in their learning. So we did provide a further definition, which we call QTS+, which is more in line with the expectations of the standards for the induction year, isn't it? So we also have the, the purple category where students could actually perform above the basic requirement for gaining QTS. And so maybe indicative of the challenges that practitioners across Wales were facing in getting used to these new standards, we were approached by our regional consortia, uh, representatives from from two of our consortia, commissioning us to develop some kind of resource that would help us and anyone else out there wishing to access this resource to develop a shared understanding of the standards because some of them as as we've already said can be quite difficult to decipher and to understand how you can progress towards them in them either at the QTS stage induction phase or when you're uh, highly sustained and effective in your practice. So we had a, a big job to consider you know how, what's going what's to be the best resource to demonstrate this because Student teachers, we know, learn in ways that are in some ways explicit and observable, but in others are invisible because they're going on inside their heads. So we needed to find a resource that would sort of bring the implicit into the sort of more explicit domain so that other student teachers could benefit from that and anyone working with them. Yeah, and this thing took on a bit of a life of its own in the end, didn't it? Because all we were really commissioned to do was to try and produce a thing, any kind of thing, which would help new members of the profession and those that support them to really kind of understand what the standards meant and and how to get better (laughs) in relation to bits of them. But it ended up taking on a huge life of its own. And I think part of that, I mean, as you implied there, that we've got this quote from our our buddies, Bern Hager and Mutton. If you've listened to the book review of the Bern Hager and Mutton book that came out recently, you'll you'll remember we're big fans of their book. I'm going to read this quote because I think it, it not only formed the backbone of what we were doing and why we did it, but also kind of partially explains why the whole thing ended up ballooning into a much bigger project. They say, professional learning is not only about learning for action. Much of it has to be learned in action. One of the most valuable resources for beginners, professional teachers' knowledge in use, is very difficult for beginners to access. So in other words, teachers do a lot of very complicated stuff very quickly in the moment. They're not necessarily thinking explicitly about it because they're so experienced. And yet our student teachers need to understand why they did things. (laughs) Really complicated. And we very quickly landed on this idea of dialogue, didn't we? We We did. We we came up with this idea that we weren't going to produce stuff for people to copy or point at because that was so much against the spirit of these holistic aspirational standards. You know, we were trying to get away from the idea that you tick things off or you point at bits of element uh, of evidence and so we very quickly ended up on this idea that if we were going to be looking at, at making these ways of thinking this professional knowledge in action explicit and lay it out the way to do it would be to to come up with some sort of dialogue approach and I think that sort of fitted in as well, didn't it, with our research-informed clinical practice model, which we have here for ITE, so that student teachers were given the opportunity to reflect on 
how research appeared in clinical practice and how clinical practice then reflected what they were seeing in the research they were reading as well so that they they're actually able to interpret both together so we, we were quite confident that the best way for them to examine that would be through professional dialogue because it gives them the opportunity to kind of access why experienced teachers do things but it, it perhaps gets us a bit further away from this idea of just copy that you know which is what we're, tr- we're trying to avoid so what we did in reality then was we tasked the lovely school colleagues who were working with us on this project to produce videos for five elements of the standards. Um, Some of them came from the pedagogy cluster and some came from collaboration, innovation, professional learning. And we asked them to record dialogue between either a mentor and a student teacher, an NQT and their NQT mentor, that's a newly qualified teacher when they're in the induction phase. And we asked them to discuss how they advanced their practice, how they made progress in their practice in that particular element of the standards at those key points of progression that we use here in the Cardiff Partnership for Initial Teacher Education programmes that Sean had mentioned, the unaware stage, what did that particular element look like? At the aware stage, what did it look like? And we recorded all of these videos and when it came to the point of reviewing the materials that the schools produced, we were given pause for thought because what we started to notice was that there appeared to be some trends in the ways that students were articulating their practice and the way they were learning at different stages in their PGCE year um, and beyond. And what we attempted to do at that point, we sort of down tools and looked very, very closely at two examples of these professional dialogues captured on video. And we attempted to do a bit of a rough analysis. We'd been doing some reading generally. Tom mentioned one of the sources a moment ago. And we decided to just do some rough coding of those patterns, those trends that we could see um, that were indicative of how student teachers were learning, but also more specifically how they were learning in the context of our professional standards that we've got here in Wales. So we're going to play those out to you now, but Tom's got some things for you to think about and a little bit more of an explanation of what you're going to hear. Yeah, we're going to listen to two extracts, obviously in audio only. First of all, we're going to listen to uh, David, who's a student teacher, and Sarah, who I think actually is his senior mentor, but they're in a primary school, they're in Palmerston Primary School, friends of the podcast down in Barry, talking about uh, his progression from being unaware to being aware. We're then going to have a listen to Neve and Lewis from a secondary school, St Joseph's uh, Roman Catholic High School, just outside Newport. They're also talking about unaware to aware, uh, moving from unaware to aware. So they're kind of getting off the mark, really. They're both NQTs, newly qualified teachers. They're kind of reminiscing on their, their PGCE year, if you like. And we're looking at enabling improvement and professional networks and communities. If you're aficionados of the Welsh uh, teaching standards if you're not don't worry because because there's still some useful generic things here we're going to play them in order and emma's going to kind of unpack it afterwards but while you're having a listen 
have a little listen to how these people are describing their learning, what the strategies were that helped them to do that learning. Also the fact, I mean, Sean had mentioned this holistic nature of the standards, the fact they're not supposed to kind of be taken separately as a tick list. And it was interesting that these these people did talk about them as being a kind of big holistic whole without being prompted by the questioners who, who were behind the camera. And what student teachers look like as they move from unaware to being aware so have a listen out for those things. We'll start off by listening to David and Sarah from Palmerston Primary School. So if we could start with really, where were you at at the beginning of your placement here at Palmerston? What would you say you were like in terms of your knowledge and understanding? Okay, so um, I came into teaching uh, no, uh, recently after spending 15 years as an engineer. Um, so whilst I had quite a lot of uh, sort of knowledge and understanding of research and professional networking in engineering, um, and, and working as an LSA actually uh, quite recently in uh, a local primary school, um, my knowledge of PL2 was very, was very low, and I, yeah, it was fair to say I was unaware. And that, that's fair enough, isn't it? Because you don't know what you don't know, do you? Exactly. But that's brilliant. Um, so in terms of your journey now, and I know you're still on your first placement, how do you feel you developed now at this point in Cap One? Do you think that you have made progress, and I, you know, and I, perhaps you could exemplify where and yeah. how? and what steps you've taken or maybe what support you've had to help you grow in this area. Okay, uh, so uh, during my uh, initial uh, clinical practice and um, uh, during team teaching, I'd often see my uh, mentor performing sort of strategies in the classroom, um, which uh, I, I mimicked um, in the early parts of team teaching, um, but didn't really understand why I, I was performing them. Um, so with support from my mentor during meetings and SLT, uh, days. Um, I've researched uh, AFL uh, more um, and now um, I'm using it in the classroom and I'm understanding why um, it's being used in the classroom as well. Brilliant, that's fantastic. So do you feel that mental meetings have really helped unpick that theory? So yes, yes. Yeah, and yes. I know your class mentor has done a lot of research, certainly with Shirley Clark as well on yeah. AFL. So De definitely, I think, her, yeah. I think her knowledge um, and experience um, of AFL with, uh, with Shirley Clark has been very beneficial to, uh, to me um, in being able to implement and understand why, um, why I'm using these AFLs. Right? I don't know if you want to talk to me a little bit about what your work with Mr David and um, IT research, because I know you've done some more work on that as well in terms of definitely. wider school approaches. Yeah, so um, following um, uh, an insert uh, we discussed uh, DCF um, and using uh, uh, sort of digital technology in the classroom and so that's definitely, uh, so I did, I did a bit of uh, did some research on what was uh, available in school and, um, and and beyond that and I was able to um, yeah, implement some DCF in, into the classroom so Brilliant. definitely broadening beyond uh, my class mentors definitely helped with, uh, with improving my teaching. Okay, so that was David and Sarah. So let's have a little little listen now to Lewis and Neve, who were NQTs in a secondary school. Well, I think you start unaware when you really don't have any appreciation for the enabling of improvement. So there's very little understanding of how to improve and where you need to improve. So you need to, unaware, you kind of start at where there's limited opportunities and then to go from there you need to seek advice and you need to be able to observe people and watch people and then um, then you are able to focus in for example if you were looking at modeling you'd have little understanding of that 
at the unaware stage and then to make that transition to the aware stage you need to start uh, observing someone uh, having conversations with people but at that aware stage it would still be quite uh, surface conversations so it wouldn't be in depth it wouldn't be focused it would still be just kind of understanding for example modeling on a very narrow narrower knowledge base to start yeah and I guess from like personal experience I was ve- I had no confidence at all when I went to the classroom I didn't know for example looking at like differentiation I didn't know what it was um, and I was a bit I was sort of just a bit scared to approach anybody really um, I didn't want to look a bit silly I wanted to know you know, I wanted to go in there being confident but I wasn't and that's okay you know you're going to be unaware at first but I guess when you do get that, you develop that confidence and you're able to approach a member of staff or your mentor, like they're there to help you at the end of the day. It's a tricky sort of stage when you're first starting out, but it's, we're all the same, we're all in the same boat and it, it does get easier. And it is, <laughs> it is trying to start off getting that seeking of advice from your mentor and that's where the initial collaboration would come from, yeah. is straight with the conversations with the mentor um, and then hopefully transitioning from that observation stage to a team teaching stage mm. um, and then making that gradual then conversation with them. Yeah. Um, so but that, that stage step. is still little impact, and little appreciation, so for example, for, on a direct connection with modelling. Um, but you're still enabling improvement to the aware stage so that you're starting to understand, you're starting to grasp a knowledge for it. It's very much so your own personal journey at that stage. Mm. And I believe the impact will come a lot later. Um, so I'd say there's little to a lack of impact. And I think there's an, a, a lack of appreciation for what impact looks like in terms of that modelling stage. Yeah. So I guess you're still, same for yeah, you're still learning really, aren't you? You're, you're learning it yourself. Exactly. So. so once you get to know the students, once you know your classes, which can take a while, but once you know them, that's when it starts making the impact. But I think going from unaware to aware, you're just, it's, it's for yourself, I guess, at that time. Yeah, it's that personal journey straight yeah. away. Mm. Okay, so... Emma's going to unpack now what it was that we were actually listening to in those two really interesting professional dialogues. Okay, so the first thing that we noted, which was quite reassuring, was that the students were talking about the professional standards for teaching leadership in an integrated way. So although they were reflecting on how they made progress in two strands or one specific strand, if we look at each individual professional dialogue... They couldn't help but talk about other aspects of the standards that helped them. An example of that, when Neve and Lewis were talking about enabling improvement, they had to talk about what they were trying to improve. So they were looking at aspects of the pedagogy cluster of of elements in order to exemplify how they used collaboration to enable improvement in those areas. So Neve was talking about differentiation, Lewis was talking about modelling. And so that sort of gave us hope really that the model was working and and helping student teachers learn in an integrated way Um, and it wasn't just a tick box uh, way they were very much interconnected. There were also instances where the students discuss their learning and actions that resonate with something, an approach to teacher learning that's very much 
key to a clinical practice model of initial teacher education. And that approach is called, or that process is called clinical reasoning. And this is where they discuss a process of evaluating their current situation, planning what to do next based on evidence and knowledge of research and theory. And we we heard that specifically in David's dialogue um, with Sarah, where he's drawing upon some research and inquiry that he did to move himself forward different books that he read. So in clinical practice models, ways need to be found to explicitly consider how different forms and disciplines of knowledge can be integrated in practice rather than leaving it up to to chance. So it was quite reassuring for us to hear that clinical reasoning, there were sort of authentic examples of students going through this process of clinical reasoning coming through in the video dialogues. Now, we talked about the work of Carol Steele and Carol Steele's work actually tells us that unaware teachers find it quite difficult when they're new in separating out the details in the classroom environment that are relevant for their learning. They also see each event as discrete rather than as a pattern that can be addressed meaningfully and they can be quite poorly skilled at responding to the details and cues that they do note. So what they tend to do is continue their lessons without modifying. So we found that this was the case in the videos. They could identify some pertinent features of practice, but with quite surface level understanding of of why they were happening. So they talk about in the early stages of their development, at the unaware stage, they were tending to mimic what they saw their mentors doing, but they had sort of little understanding at that stage of the significance that it had to their learners and to learning more broadly. And of course, in the early stages, they're getting to know the learners in in their placement school, in their practicum setting. So it can be quite difficult as well for novices at that stage to really understand how what they're doing is making a difference to their learners. So we we found that that was another common feature, that student teachers could identify features of, of good practice in their mentors' work and in, in what they were doing, but they had very surface level understanding of why it was or was not working. Something that came out of a longitudinal study that Bernhager and Mutton did into beginning teachers learning is that there is this tension for a student teacher between the role of being a professional, needing to really demonstrate that you are a professional, that you can get things right the first time, that you are to be trusted by the learners and other professionals that you're working with. But that runs contrary sometimes to the needs of a learner, which a student teacher is, um, for whom the process of learning can be really messy. There can be mistakes along the way. So, you know, there's this tension between I need to demonstrate that I'm a fresh professional, but in order to learn, I'm going to need to take some risks and make some mistakes and learn from them. And that's a really difficult one for students to reconcile. And we saw that clearly in Neve's point in the video when she was talking about feeling really nervous to show her lack of knowledge about differentiation that had she done so would have enabled her own improvement. And this has got important implications for our practice when it comes to working with student teachers, because we we need to give them permission to ask 
questions of practice, to take risks, to show their vulnerability and their lack of knowledge in all in order to move forward. So it was useful for us to note this about the students and about the way that they learn so that in future we can really help them to reconcile that tension and we can give them permission to make mistakes and to learn from them as they go forward. What we noticed as well was that they were highly aware of their status of a novice. For David, this was potentially challenging for him because he talks about going from being a, a qualified engineer, someone who is a, a real professional who has developed his expertise and gone from being a, you know, a real expert in his field to being a beginner again, being a novice. And they all seem sort of very aware of their novice status. But to each of them individually, that played out in different ways in terms of how they were learning and progressing. So that's another thing to, to note is that no novice is going to be the same, but they are likely to be aware that they are a novice and we can maybe work with them because of that awareness. And then finally, what we noticed is that in this sort of early stage of development, they were very much focused on the more sort of pragmatic approach uh, as a teacher uh, and what they needed in order to keep their professionalism intact in front of the learners. So they were very much uh, at the stage that is indicative of what Davis's research identifies as the pragmatic stage. Like, what do I need to do to survive in front of these classes? And so Although we know that it can be quite detrimental to apply these sort of stages in a generalised way, you know, no one teacher learner is going to learn in the same way or go through these stages neatly. It is useful to know that in those early days, they might be taking a slightly more pragmatic approach and that might make them even more inclined to want to mimic because they need to survive. So just that, that analysis of those initial findings has been a real springboard to some takeaways um, for our practice um, within the Cardiff Partnership, but also has pointed towards and led to some research of our own that we've embarked on. Okay, so the sort of findings, our final takeaways, as you called them, Emma, we realised is this issue, the problem between the sort of the holistic aspirational philosophy behind the professional standards, but also the need for us to be the gatekeepers and to be able to confirm prior to graduation at exam boards that the students are meeting the expected standards to join the profession. So that was sort of reinforced, if you like. We did also realise that it's not possible to produce one single thing. Some of these videos were done in primary schools, some in secondary schools, some in Welsh medium schools, others in English medium schools. And of course, everybody's experience was very, very different. We had in the secondary sector, we also had people who were specialising in different subjects, you know, so we realised, of course, that practice would look different in different settings in in each different classroom and for every single teacher. So that was something that we um, we were aware of as well. And I think perhaps what we tried to do more than anything else with this resource was try to show the process of learning rather than 
depicting what achieving a standard meant or achieving a particular element meant. So it was very much an example of the process and the questioning that happened during, or in the best videos. The questioning was very much about, so how did you make progress from unaware to aware? What were the things that actually impacted your progress? So the focus was very much on looking how that they were learning rather than what they'd achieved. So you can see from that that actually what was originally looking to be a fairly workaday type of resource creation project kind of ballooned into something much, much bigger. It's not just ended up giving us some pointers to help understand the, the professional standards. It's actually given us a few ways into working out what's going on with our student teachers and how they're they're learning. And so Shauna, you mentioned at the beginning about Professor John Furlong's expectation that teacher education is, is more research informed. You know, we're supposed to use research, bring it to bear, but we're also supposed to start producing our own. And so what we've ended up doing on the back of this is actually embarking on a parallel research project in which we're trying to work out how novice teachers, new teachers learn in relation to this particular kind of holistic aspirational model of the professional standards. What features of our own programmes and what we do seem to be most successful in supporting that because it's really important to be informed by research, including our own research, and more broadly what this framework means for the nature of professional knowledge and its development. So we're kind of getting into quite deep waters here for ITE staff who are not traditionally i suppose in the past it's not been an expectation that we do this kind of stuff so we're very grateful for the support of friend of the podcast professor david james we need him back on don't we we do it's been so long since professor david james came on he's he's helping us with this and we're now in the middle of interviewing student teachers and mentors and trying to find out what's going on when they're learning over the course of a PGCE year, we'll probably bring you a podcast or two on that eventually. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very interesting because, you know, I, I, I think just, just to give you a nugget of an early finding is that we anticipated that the standards, you know, might not be as useful anymore as a sort of, because they're quite, they're quite, difficult to penetrate in some ways but what we have found is that students and mentors are using them to help them advance in their practice but they are sort of prioritizing different things at different stages and depending on their context so those are some of the sort of early findings um, you know there's certain areas that they're, they're they're less able to prioritize or to get into than others but we will certainly give you more on that once we've done all the coding and all the interviewing which is a, a big undertaking I guess we should d just give you some something to try and maybe some takeaways off the back of this some discussion points that we put to colleagues at the USEC conference that might be influential whatever your context is are how do you navigate the challenges of supporting novice practitioners to achieve professional competence I suppose you know if you're a teacher educator or if you work with a practitioner of some description, you know, a, a law practitioner, maybe a medical practitioner, how do you help them and support them to, to develop professional competence? What are the stages? What are the approaches that you take? 
To what extent is professional dialogue utilised to promote practitioner learning and development in your own context? Um, we, we found this to be incredibly important, but we've, as Sean had said, have also found that the, the asking the right questions is also very, very important in unearthing how a student um, is progressing and, and learning. And how do you and professional colleagues support novice practitioners to relate theory to practice in a professional context? This is, again, something that we're grappling with in the Cardiff Partnership. Of course, we've also made these resources. They're out there in the public domain. And we, interesting. <laughs> yeah, and <now>, Tom's got <laughs> some ideas about how you might dip into those, whether you're in Wales or not. Yes. Well, first thing to do is to go and find them. You'll find them on YouTube. Uh, so youtube.com forward slash at shared understanding all one word that's youtube.com forward slash at shared understanding where you will find an enormous load of videos it's gone over a hundred now i think because we've been at this for two years student teachers novice teachers those who support them discussing how they developed uh, through these kind of stages from being unaware to being you know basically really good at things and um, what they did how they went about it and of course as we said at the start this is not about copying it's not about creating the same things or doing exactly the same things because we're trying to get away from that but it's about the sort of processes the opportunities um, the way that you develop your thinking. And so if you're here in Wales, and particularly if you're working with new teachers, you might want to take a particular element of the standards, a particular bit, and trace that development all the way from unaware through to sustained, highly effective practice, which is kind of basically people who've been teaching for ages and are really, really good at it. Or alternatively, and particularly if the element of the standards you're interested in perhaps isn't there, because we haven't covered all of them because there are loads, you might want to just uh, look at a particular stage. So what? how do you get somebody from being, you know, unaware right at the very, very start through to aware? How do you get them off the mark? How do you get somebody to be really, really good? I mean, looking at the sustained, highly effective practice ones, perhaps for several elements of the standards, might, if you're supporting someone who's, who's quite advanced and is looking perhaps to get some kind of promotion or some wider opportunities what kind of opportunities are you going to need to open up to them what kind of things are you going to need to put in front of them to do what kind of roles are you going to need to open up for them in order that they can do those things that they can can get those experiences and actually even if you're not from wales even if you're one of our listeners from outside of wales you're not using our model of the standards if you're not to do with cardiff partnership you're not using the steel descriptors I think there's probably enough there to translate across actually enough kind of generic stuff about how teachers learn and develop or maybe even as Emma says maybe even other kind of professions there might be some stuff that's, that's of interest here to what extent do you use professional dialogue to what extent could you use professional dialogue what are the right kind of questions to ask these are kind of universal things I suppose about professional learning and so hopefully there's something in there for everyone and um, we should say huge thanks actually to everybody that participated in those videos because it's not easy doing that stuff and it's not easy asking or answering those questions so our hats off to those people but if you want to go and have a watch and a, and a bit of a think and a bit of a chat youtube.com forward slash at shared understanding so there's plenty for you to try there hopefully we've given you quite a lot that's interesting but i know tom you've got something that's uh, outside of this project that might be interesting for our listeners to 
go and have a look at yes i have and it's another friend of the podcast we're racking them up here aren't we we're name checking absolutely everybody long-term listeners may remember that we rounded out uh, i think it was last season it wasn't was it? with with uh, gareth evans who is the director of education policy at our friends over at athrova trinity uh, st david carmarthen although they're based in swansea in a very shiny campus he has a blog welsheducationmatters.wordpress.com i'm all about the long addresses today welsh education matters.wordpress.com and if you listen to our episode with Gareth you'll remember that we really were kind of getting down some really pokey things about all this education reform all this stuff that Sean was talking about which sounds all very aspirational but opens up a whole load of challenges and Gareth is not backward in coming forward when it comes to yes giving credit where it's due but also asking some very, very difficult questions and being sort of very honest about where he thinks things have fallen down or perhaps where there's a kind of shared reluctance to accept when things are not quite working properly. He's very honest and and quite thought-provoking, and I quite enjoy reading his articles, which tend to be very in-depth, Uh, and don't tend to take any prisoners and so I would strongly recommend and a very kind of collegial gesture waving down the M4 to our friends down out west um, Gareth Evans's blog welsheducationmatters.wordpress.com Thanks Tom um, and thanks, Sean Ed. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure we'll report back uh, on our research project down the line. Um, but the, all that remains to be said now is thank you for listening and we'll be back with you in two weeks time. You've been listening to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. The special guest this episode was Welsh language voice of the podcast, Seanid Davith. Thanks to everyone who made videos for our project and especially the colleagues we featured today, David, Sarah, Neve and Lewis. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blanford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. You can find the project at youtube.com forward slash at shared understanding. We'll be back in a fortnight with something else interesting. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching. Thank you.